From religion to wrestling, gumbo to grits, politics to poetry, and all things southern in between, this is Take on the South. Produced by the Institute for Southern Studies and hosted by the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of South Carolina, Take on the South examines the highs and lows of the American South, examines the truths and fictions of the country's most distinctive region, and picks the brains of some of its most accomplished students. To understand the South, you need to take it on, and that's what we'll be doing. Join us as we Take on the South. And welcome to Take on the South, the show that comes to you from the Institute for Southern Studies at the University of South Carolina. I'm your host today, Jennifer Gunter. I'm the director of the Collaborative on Race in the College of Arts and Sciences and an instructor for Southern Studies. Today, we're going to talk to Archie Crowley. They are the recipient of the Ellison Award presented by the Institute for Southern Studies to help graduate students further their research. Archie's project, uh, in their words, quote, explores the linguistic practices of transgender communities in South Carolina, specifically in online and offline spaces as they engage in linguistic activism. Archie, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. It is, um, it is my pleasure. So first, just tell me a bit more about the project that the Ellison Award is helping to fund. So this is part of my dissertation research, and I am working to, like you said, explore the linguistic practices of trans communities in the South. And so what that means is trans people are really aware of the importance of language. We're often thinking about language in terms of how to talk about ourselves, how to talk about our own gender, how to communicate that to other people. And within the South, there are very specific gendered language practices. We call people sir and ma'am. Um, that's just kind of an everyday part of negotiation of life here, uh, and that becomes really important for trans people. Um, and so I have been doing interviews with groups of trans people who live in South Carolina um, and talking to them about language, um, how it's important in their lives, what kind of ways they navigate being trans in, so- in the South, and um, what language means to them. So. That's really interesting, um, and I'm, I, I'm fascinated by this term, linguistic activism. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you came up with, or does that come from someone else? Can you dig a little bit more into that? Yeah, so um, there's actually a lot of research about linguistic activism coming out of like feminist linguistic activism in like the 80s around moves like when we had generic he, uh, like, and they would say, and every person, he will do his part to do whatever. Um, and so there was a lot of feminist activism around language saying we should say he or she. Um, things like we should say Ms. instead of Miss or Mrs. Um, because why should women have to kind of be marked by their marital status? And so that was a lot of, within linguistics, research on linguistic activism in kind of feminist language practices focused on that. And so I was interested in taking that into the type of work that trans 
individuals are doing in terms of like everyday linguistic activism and then people who identify as activists doing kind of explicit linguistic activism in terms of like for example getting singular they approved into kind of style guides or things like that so um I think about linguistic activism as something that happens on the everyday level where people might advocate for their own language, um, like labels they want to use or pronouns they want to use. And then on that kind of structural level, people who are like explicitly identifying as activists. That's really cool. You remind me, um, my mom was really active in second wave mm-hmm. uh, in I'm from Mississippi and she bought me books from the feminist press, like children's books. And one of them that I still have, um, my mother, the postal worker. Oh, cool. And it was in English and Spanish. Uh, but it was all about, you know, there's this woman that carries the mail that is not a male man. man. Yeah. Um, so I think that's really, really cool. Um, and, and the idea that we can be activists just in our, our simple use of language. Yeah. So tell me, so you said a bit about the sir and ma'am, mm-hmm. um, which honestly I had to stop myself from doing uh, several years ago because it clicked for me that I don't know that. Mm-hmm. So what what makes it different here than say you um i I believe uh, i heard you say that you're from long beach california so what makes it kind of different same yeah so that's been a really interesting thing both in my personal experience and then in my research um and kind of a big part of kind of just life in the south is that so i grew up in california i did my undergrad out there uh, then I moved to Atlanta. I lived in Atlanta for like a year, and then I moved uh, to Columbia for grad school. And my move to the South actually coincided with my coming out as trans. Um, and so there's uh, a lot of people who might have the opposite trajectory. They might move to these kind of imagined liberal enclaves in the West Coast or you know the North, uh, and then come out. Um, but I did the opposite. So I've spent my entire kind of trans adulthood in the South. Um, and so people often say like, oh, was it weird moving to the South? And I'm like, to, to some extent, that's kind of what I know as a trans person. And I um, am non-binary, I use they, them pronouns. And so I often kind of navigate that uh, experience of being called sir or ma'am variably, depending on how people perceive me in that moment for whatever reasons, who knows? And uh in talking to my interview participants, they are also kind of navigating this and it's really fascinating. So I'm interviewing people who are from South Carolina primarily or have lived here for a significant amount of time. And they really negotiate this sense of like valuing these kind of Southern values of respect. Like we, my mom taught me that I should always say sir, ma'am, like, and for some trans people, it can be really validating. Like, uh, there's a person who I interviewed who is a trans man, and he said that it feels really good whenever someone just recognizes him and says, like, how you doing, sir? Um, and so there are these kind of sense of that in some ways this can be validating for personal identity, like recognizable as important as part of like a cultural identity, but then specifically for non-binary people and um, for trans people who are often kind of misgendered in public can be these really fraught experiences. And so they're complicated conversations because there isn't always an easy solution. Um, I 
I talk to lots of non-binary folks who, you know, people are always like, well, what can I say? Like, what's an option besides sir or ma'am? We have to be able to say something. Yeah. I actually talked, I interviewed some people who do kind of inclusive, trans inclusive trainings and things like that. And they said that, that what they recommend is that they, if you really feel like you need to have some sort of extra syllable there, why not say like, oh, instead of thank you, sir, or thank you, ma'am, like, oh, thank you so much. Mm. Uh, because if you're worried that you're not going to come across as respectful, no one's going to say if you said, like, thank you so much, that that's not respectful. Like, that is very clearly being appreciative. Um, and that it's really interesting for me to hear because, like I said, I, I didn't grow up saying sir or ma'am. And I generally feel like I'm a pretty respectful <laughs> person. So I'm like, oh. But it's a conversation I've had a lot with my students mm. um, as I teach. I'm an instructor here and I taught in English and then in linguistics. And a lot of my students are from South Carolina. And I have to have that conversation. Like, I think it's great that you want to show respect to me as your instructor. Like, that's good. Like, <laughs> um, but the way that you can do that for me is to kind of respect that I want to be called Archie, that you don't have to call me Mr. or Miss, whatever. You can just call me by my name. That's what I've asked. Um, and it becomes a little more tricky in those, you know, restaurant scenarios where you don't know um but it is a thing that we have to navigate and it's complicated yeah and you know I recognized in myself that it was almost a verbal tick mm -hmm. that it was just this kind of automatic thing that I was raised to do mm -hmm. um but but being able to recognize that I was doing it yeah and stopping was you know it was a little it took me a minute yeah I had one of my good friends who grew up here in Colombia, and I was hanging out with her um, in-laws, who are very older Southern folks, and they're super cool, like, and worked so hard to get my name right, my pronouns right. Like, I could see them think every time, and they would work to do it, but then the moment they would just kind of say a sentence and tack on the ma'am at the end. It's exactly what you were saying. It was so subconscious because they didn't even realize that they were doing it. So that first step to when am I doing this, um, recognizing it is kind of that first step of being like, oh, I did. I said sir, ma'am again. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. You know, um, so one of the things that you also say you look at is online mm -hmm. communication and I mean, that's got to be a minefield for a number of reasons. Can you tell me a little bit about that part of your research? Yeah, so a big part of what I'm interested in are what we call language ideologies. So our beliefs about what we think language does or how language should be in the world. Um, because everyone has really deeply ingrained kind of, people have a lot of feelings about language. <laughs> um, <laughs> For people who grew up in the South, maybe you were told, oh, you don't speak with a Southern American English variety. It sounds, you know, lots of derogatory things like slow or lazy or, and those are all, you know, not based in any sort of linguistic fact, right? This is just our beliefs about maybe a group of people being mapped onto the language they use. And um, so that's all to say that the internet is a super amazing place to find people's kind of metalinguistic commentary so that people talking about language and talking about their beliefs about language because people love to get angry on the internet. Um, and so I, my 
work on the internet started looking at trans YouTubers um, because that was a really, that was kind of where I first um, kind of saw a representation of trans people. Um, and then a lot of people would do these coming out videos where they would talk about how they came to understand their own identity and what language they used and how they picked it. And so that was kind of where I got started. And then I, um, for my dissertation, I'm starting to look at kind of Twitter conversations about inclusive language. And there's a lot of things that go on there because it is kind of an in-group conversation happening in a public space. And it can get pretty contentious. I think that's a kind word. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because... Language is changing rapidly, and um, there are people, even within trans communities, who think language should be this way or language should be that way. Like, um, we should use language in a way that kind of is unifying, like that we have kind of a set of language that represents trans people, or people who are saying, well, it's really exciting that we have such a wide variety of things that we have so many different labels and people negotiating what these words mean to them because someone might identify as non-binary and that means one thing, but then someone else will use the label and mean something completely different. And so I think as a linguist, I think that's really cool. Like I am interested in the ways that people take up these words and how they get used and how they shift over time. Um, but they become the kind of locusts for our discussions about trans people in public space and yeah, I'm sure. And, and, and researching maybe your own community, yeah. I think might be fraught. Mm-hmm. Um, I can, I can only, I mean, so my research was on uh, feminists mm-hmm. raised by a feminist. I am a feminist. Mm-hmm. And so I would often have arguments with myself, um, over, you know, kind of minute things, but at the same time, also about myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you last year, and this is not a, this is just like an activist mindset, mm-hmm. but last year um, during the physical protest here in Columbia, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm, I'm just like, I'm on Twitter. I'm just reloading it like every three seconds to, you know, keep up with everything. And my first reaction was, why don't they all just go home? Why don't they do this uh, in a more, I don't know, not, why don't they do this in a, in a uh, more logical way? And I was like, oh my God, I'm the old activist. <laughs> like, oh my yeah. God, I'm the one that I used to fight against. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so I kind of see yes. that, like, maybe that's what's going on. Right. So generational differences yeah. are a huge thing that are coming out in, as I tease apart some of my interview data, because um, as language has changed so rapidly over the past kind of couple of decades around trans identity, you have older trans community members saying like, well, this was the language that I used. Uh, like, why are you saying that I can't say that anymore. And then younger trans community members saying, well, it's problematic for X, Y, and Z reasons. Um, and I can't believe you would still say that. Like, that's wrong. And then everything kind of negotiating that um, is, yeah, exactly what you're saying. Um, 
a complex dynamic because you recognize that some of the older members of the community like have gone through a lot. They've fought to use this kind of language. Um, and there's also these levels of like respectability being like, this is the way that quote unquote, like is a appropriate way to kind of be an activist in the world. This is what like will get respect from people. And then people saying, well, why do we need to play into their rules about what's respectable or not? Yeah. So the generational thing is, I think in every movement. Yeah. Um, so pragmatic, mm -hmm. but also how can you be pragmatic about wanting to burn it down? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that that's, uh, but I think gosh, that like, yeah, that self-reflexivity is really crucial because I feel that a lot as I kind of play the role of interviewer, uh, and, as a non-binary person, there are definitely members of the trans community who themselves are kind of confused by they, them pronouns or by neo pronouns and will say things and I'll have to have my little researcher hat on and be like, okay, like you are talking about me, right? <laughs> but it's also super fascinating data. So I'm like, yeah. tell me, tell me everything you think. Um, because communities are messy and that's like one thing that I, I try really hard to talk about trans communities, plural, because even though I have kind of delineated, I'm talking to trans people in South Carolina, um, there are a lot of different intersections of identity that impact the types of things that people care about, the way they engage with language change, um, because I was interviewing one person and they were talking about how they really like this kind of like the philosophical puzzle of language. Like, what does language mean? What is gender? And they just really enjoy that process of picking it apart and figuring out what words mean. And then I was talking to someone else who, you know, just wants to live their life and get their paycheck and really just want people to kind of gender them correctly and, and move on. And so along like education, class, race, all these other things impact the way that people are showing up in these movements. And so tr like trans people are not a monolith and that is a fun and complicated thing to negotiate when we often get represented in those public spaces on Twitter being like, this is what trans people say. You're like, okay, sure. Yeah, the simplification yeah. of a, a whole group of people. Mm -hmm. um, it makes it easier for some people though, yeah. uh, but it's also boring, <laughs> right? Um, so can you tell me who were some of, who are some of like the researchers or the writers that have really influenced your direction? Mm -hmm. So I, maybe this is a little cheesy, but I, I'm really influenced by the people who are on my dissertation committee. Uh, That's amazing. <laughs> so I am really lucky to have some really great academic mentors. Um, my advisor here at USC, her name is Dr. Elaine Chun. She writes about language and race and racism. And while we kind of address the um, issues of like language ideologies in different kind of communities, her thinking around the way we use language and to talk about identity and um, other things like that has been super influential to me, which is why I'm really happy to have been able to be a But isn't that here. like why you go to grad school is yeah. to work with people that you admire? Yes. Yeah. 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 And then um, another member of my committee uh, 
is a professor. He's an external member um, from the University of California, Santa Barbara, and he's one of the kind of the trans linguist. His name is Dr. Lal Zimmon, and he writes kind of has written a ton of different things about trans people's language, and um, that has also been really influential to me. So uh, that's just too off the top of my head. <laughs> I mean, that's great. So if somebody wanted to learn more about this, is there a resource or um, something you could suggest? Okay, this is going to be the worst self-promo. I love this. Sorry. So in 2020, I actually had the opportunity to give a TEDx U of SC talk. Um, Which was beautiful. (laughs) Thank you. Um, I had a lot of help uh, in preparing it. I practiced. My friends <laughs> uh, heard it millions and millions of times over. I didn't know ahead of time that TED presenters memorized their talks. I thought they all had teleprompters, but I had to memorize that thing. So <laughs> it that was, is a lot. And what's it called? It was called. So it's why I'm saying this is it's now on the TED website. And if you go there and search my name, Archie Crowley, TED Talk, um, and go to the TED website, it's called The Language Around Gender Identity Evolves, parentheses, and always has. Um, on that page, I have curated a list of books, blogs, and things like that, other resources that people can go look at. So there's a couple. Um, so Lol, who I mentioned earlier, has a blog called Trans Talk. Another um, kind of trans linguist has a different blog that I link to. And then a couple other books. Um, one about pronouns and pronouns change over time, one about kind of language and identity more generally. So that's a place where people can go find some more resources. That's fantastic. I mean, we'll come to the source. Yeah. I love (laughs) it. So was there anything that um, you might like to tell us a little bit more about that we haven't, that you were hoping to talk about or? Yeah, so I think that a lot of people come to me, come to other trans people, trans people in their lives, and especially around language with this idea of not wanting to mess up or not wanting to like make a mistake. And I think that might be familiar within kind of other social activism, social justice movements. Um, And a lot of things that I've heard from people is that, especially they recognize that people will mess up. Like that is going to happen that the intention to learn, to like take criticism and to like step up and say, okay, I want to do better. I'm going to practice and I will work on it is ultimately what is going to be the most beneficial in the long run. Because as a person who studies language and trans communities, I hate to tell you, it's probably going to keep changing. (laughs) (laughs) And like whatever, if I were to give you kind of prescriptive rules about this is the correct or incorrect thing, I would probably be outdated very quickly. Um, And so the idea of kind of entering the conversation with like this kind of excitement about like language is cool. Um, we have this opportunity to connect with people through language and how can I do that um, is, I think, one way to not shut yourself down before you even get started. That's beautiful. Well, thank you again, Archie. This has been fantastic. Um, 
like with all the Ellison Award winners, I feel like we could probably keep going yeah. for like a really long time. I can't wait to hear the rest of them. They're good. Oh, well, you all are so smart. Um, so, yeah, thank you and uh, have a good afternoon. Thank you. That was our Take on the South. Let us know yours. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at U of SC South. Take on the South is produced by Matt Simmons of the Institute for Southern Studies. Special thanks to Professor Dave Garner of the University of South Carolina School of Music for composing our music. Tune in next time for another Take on the South. Thank you.